comes in. Because to deal with our nakedness, to deal with our vulnerability, we misuse our creativity. If the deepest expression of power is not force, but creation, not imperative, but justice, so the deepest corruption of power, the deepest corruption of power, is not violence, it's misplaced creativity. And the biblical word for this is idolatry. Idols are the result of human creativity misapplied to human vulnerability. And just as only human beings can be naked, we're the only creatures that are that vulnerable, so we are also the only creatures that make images of God that are not actually true to God. And every idol that we invest with God-like power makes two promises to us that address our vulnerability. Number one, you shall not surely die. Every idol promises, you shall not surely die, which is to say, you shall not have to be contingent, vulnerable, and dependent on another for your life. And corresponding to that, you will be like God. Every idol promises to elevate you from your meek image bearing into what you imagine is the likeness of God. And it will be cheap and fast. <laughs> Idols promise to do this quickly and cheaply. And the reality of idol idols, the reality of idolatry, is that they work at first. Idols actually do initially deliver a delicious experience of escaping from our contingency and dependence into an experience of godlike power and control, or what we imagine to be godlike power and control. The problem is that idols don't keep working. As the psychiatrist Jeffrey Satinover has put it, idols, which begin by promising everything, you shall not die, you shall be like God, and demanding almost nothing, cheap and fast, <coughs> gradually cease to work until eventually they deliver nothing while extracting everything, demanding everything. And this leads to the third truth of power. So the first is power is for flourishing. The second is that we misuse our power to make idols. And the third truth is that those who make them become like them. Those who make idols become like idols. Those who make false gods begin to play false gods. We begin to imitate these things that make great promises up front at very little cost, but actually deliver nothing in the end at incredible cost, exploiting the world. And if the biblical name for misusing our power to, to make false gods is idolatry, biblical name for misusing our power to play a false god is injustice. And that's why the Hebrew prophets never separate idolatry from injustice. They're always going back and forth between idolatry and injustice because in the biblical mind, idolatry, the making of God, false gods, and injustice, the playing of a false god, go together. I learned this from a man named Jaikumar Christian who's the head of World Vision in India. And as Jagamar and I were going to visit a district where child slavery had been endemic for generations, he said, Andy, I want you to understand what you're about to see. He said, when you see poverty, you need to understand 
that poverty is simply the result of someone playing God in the life of someone else. And suddenly realized, oh my goodness, idolatry and injustice are not different things. They are the same thing. Playing not the true God, not the just, let it be, created, flourishing, seeking God, but playing an idol who extracts from the poor, at first simply their livelihood and, and substance of their life, but ultimately eradicates the image of God in them. So that a world that's filled with injustice is a world where the image of God has been lost, both in the exaggerated power of the idol-making injustice doer and the eradicated image in the poor. The world meant to be full of true images is now full of false images. So God looks at this world meant for flourishing, now full of false images, and hates what he sees and mourns what he sees and yet has a redemptive plan for what he sees. Which brings us to this man. No one exemplified image-bearing, justive, let-it-be creativity in my lifetime, like Steve Jobs, an image-bearer of God, with, without whose creations, may it be said, uh, if all of them were removed from this room in one rapture-like moment, I think Q would simply cease to exist. Our being would collapse into a meek group of naked, vulnerable people, right? So we're very grateful to the image-bearing capacity of Steve Jobs and all those whose flourishing he contributed to. But what we've learned from Walter Isaacson's biography is that Steve Jobs, who was an image-bearer, also had an idol. And it wasn't technology. It was pretty literally an apple. Isaacson's biography unfolds what I don't think many people outside of Jobs' own private circle had understood or guessed, which is that Steve Jobs, from a very early stage in his life, had an idol, and it was food. He had an eating disorder, or a series of eating disorders, because when he was very young, he discovered that by embracing extreme diets, minimal diets, fruitarian diets, for at one stage he went two weeks eating only apples. The Freudians among you can just work on that one for a little bit that he embraced these extreme diets that initially gave him a sense of godlike control and exhilaration, as extreme diets do. But as his life went on, Steve Jobs became more and more dependent on what Isaacson baldly calls his eating disorder. In 2003, he was diagnosed with islet cell pancreatic cancer, which is incredibly good news for a cancer diagnosis because islet cell pancreatic cancer is almost always isolatable and curable by the removal of the pancreas. For nine months after his diagnosis, against the pleas of his family and friends, Steve Jobs refused surgery, refused seed control, refused to be vulnerable, and instead attempted to treat his cancer with more and more outlandish diets. And by the time he has accepted surgery nine months later. The cancer had spread to his liver, and it was only a matter of time. The idol that Steve Jobs served ultimately robbed him of life, robbed us of a culture maker, robbed his children of a father. Idols destroy 
wherever they go. And yet we entrust ourselves to them because they tell us, you shall not surely die. You shall be like God. I wish it was just Steve Jobs who did that. But this is all of our temptation and no more, nowhere more than when we come to Washington. Last week, a very powerful person in Washington invited me to breakfast. And it's not who you're thinking. Uh, a bunch of us were here for the Easter prayer breakfast with the president, and we were honored to be here. But the night before, a bunch of us were hanging out at uh, the W Hotel just around the corner. And, a very, and it was late into the night, and I was having an amazing conversation with a very powerful person. Someone whose work I tremendously admire. Uh, and who's celebrated and known all over the world. I just couldn't believe I was talking with this person. And late into the early hours of the morning, as we were all sort of woozily, though not intoxicatedly, making our way uh, towards bed, he said, hey, do you want to have breakfast? Well, I already had plans with the president, but you don't say no when one of your idols asks you if you want to have breakfast. I said, sure, what time? He said, how about 7 a.m.? It was at this point about 1.30 doing the math, I realized I'd get about five and a half hours of sleep, and of course, I said yes. And we had a wonderful breakfast. And then I went home in a fog of fatigue, and for two days was unavailable in all the most important ways to my wife, my children, the work I really had to do, that little taste of power. You shall not surely have to sleep you aren't really a creature. And I don't know if that breakfast in and of itself was idolatrous, but I know that it partook of a pattern in my life that if left unchecked by worship would destroy me, my marriage, and anything I have to give to the world. Do we believe that we're enough in our image-bearing in our vulnerability and dependence and nakedness? Do we believe that we can be agents of flourishing without having to make or become idols? That is the question of power. And the biblical answer is yes. The justice is not just the mood of creation. It's the mood of prayer. Let it be. And the biblical story hinges on an image bearer who said, let it be to me according to your word. The Joseph, one of God's own creatures brought into being by God's Joseph power, said back to God, let it be. Q for you will either be about idols, idol making, idol playing, or it will be a way of saying back to the one who said, let there be, for us to say to God, yes, let it be in us according to your word. Okay, I'm going to... I want to do something a little different than what we normally do. Instead of jumping right into the discussion, I want to read some excerpts from the last two chapters of Revelation. He, um, when he set up this topic, he said that oftentimes we read our Bible 
with, with the exception of four chapters, the first two chapters of Genesis where God creates a, a perfect world, a garden, before sin enters in. And then the last two chapters of Revelation where all things are restored. And um, I wish he had come back to that a little bit. And so I'm going to come back to that. And we're going to read just a, few, a glimpse of that restored world where God's power has taken full effect and you see this, you see what can be and what we pin all our hopes on, right? This is, if this, what I'm about to read is not true, then we're fools for sitting here. Um, so listen and, and catch a glimpse um, of this with me. And then I think it'll inform the discussion that we have. So um, this is going to come from Revelation 21 and 22. And I'm just going to kind of skip around. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. not cooperating. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they've done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So we get a glimpse there of what it's going to be like when all things are restored and when power is used properly. Um, and so I want to start out, we often in this class um, lament, and it's proper to do this, it's proper to focus on and to lament the brokenness and the sin around us. And we're, we're, we'll probably do that in the course of this class before it's over. But I want to start out by asking um, for us to name anything that we've seen in our lifetime 
that's the proper use of power. That's, the, that's a use of power, whether it's that sort of permissive, let there be power that he talked about, or let there be um, directive way of, of using power, or even the uh, more um, sort of mandatory clearing out so that there's space for life to flourish. What have we seen, whether it's a governmental exercise of power or a non-governmental exercise of power, um, in the church, outside the church? What have we seen that, um, that we think, yeah, that, they got that right. The, the kingdom of God's a little closer to coming because of that exercise of power. Can anybody think of an example and share it with the group? Yeah. Speaking from personal experience, um, the way that I've seen my church back home and I think Otter Creek, um, last year we appointed elders in our church and I think that was a really incredible, I mean to me it was uh, a really holy experience um, because we were essentially looking for the servants, um, the men and the women who have dedicated their lives to God and we're saying we want you to lead us and holding, putting the servants of um, that we see in our lives in the front and saying we want uh, you guys to serve us, but we want you to lead us. And uh, that relationship, I think, is uh, is godlike, and I, I see that as um, a holy thing that we're following Christ in that. So, thank you. Thank you. Somebody else. Share one with us. Uh, around this time of year, there's been plenty of examples of, of churches and community groups getting together to, to stuff backpacks and give kids who don't have the ability to get their own school supplies. And I'm always amazed by the sheer number of people that are helped through something that seems fairly simple and rudimentary to most of us. And it's just it's great to be able to see the looks on kids' faces when they're able to, to get new school supplies that they didn't bank on having to begin with. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Uh, the Polish chief here in Nashville, when they had the Black Lives Matter protests, they responded in a nonviolent manner to, to the protesters. They gave them water and others as, as you read that to the protests at Ferguson where they came out with full military gear and oppressed us and suppressed us. <coughs> Absolutely. Jim. I want to pick up on the backpack example. I was able to go with uh, Bill Jenkins over to the <coughs> Lee Chapel AME Church on Jefferson Boulevard and help pack a thousand backpacks for uh, uh, Reverend Love's church there. And the backpacks had three pencils, one pack of paper, and two folders in them. When Silas, our grandson, starts at Glendale uh, tomorrow, it's also a public school in Nashville, 
they had he had to buy a hundred or his parents had to buy a hundred dollars worth of folders so despite the good outreach for backpacks i think there's still still some disparity i want to take another 30 seconds and overlay a view of image that i've had for almost 60 years thanks to reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, in chapter 32, he talks about the image of God. The image is in Genesis 1 and 2, man created in God's image. In Genesis 5, the ch children of Adam were created in Adam's image, not in God's image. And you don't see the image pick up again until in, in the biblical literature until Corinthians where those who are looking to Christ are created in his image. And Bonhoeffer says in one of, his, uh, one of the parts of that book, when Christ call, is call, calls a man, he bids him come and die. And I think, I think that death to self death to idolatry of all sorts as our speaker so well said that death is the uh, sine qua non it's, 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 it's the necessity for reclaiming the image of Christ yeah and I um, I agree and I, one thing it's there's a tiny line in that video uh, I don't know if you picked up on it he's talking about after he comes back from his breakfast with the politician, whoever it is, um, and he's real tired and he's unavailable to his family and to his work, and he says, that it, it, that's the temptation. If I didn't, he says something like, I jotted it down, if, if left unchecked by worship, that temptation would destroy me, my marriage, and what I have to give to the world. And so... The worship, the 52 weeks a year worship, is is the thousand deaths he dies to himself. Um, and that I, I really I love that line when I watched that video in preparation for this, and I thought about it this morning as I worshiped. I'm like, that 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 the just sitting in there and singing and listening and worshiping may be what stands between us and idolatry. Uh, Mary, do you have one? Um, even not a Catholic, I've been very impressed with the current Pope and trying to live out the words of Christ just by his um, word and example. I've been very impressed. Yeah. Yes. Well, when you ask about positive uses of power, I think one thing that I've seen this summer is the state's recent decision to extend the amount of paid maternity leave for state employees. Um, I would say, you know, um, when we talk about making idols and playing God, that's one thing in our society that I would say is a very thinly veiled form of cruelty, is making people essentially choose, are you going to provide income, are you going to just essentially ignore your biology and this important event in your life, and so I think that's a really positive thing that has happened recently. Yeah, that's great. I'll, um, let me share one too, and I may get tackled by one of the elders because I'm going, I'm going there um, with, with, with politics. But um, I think I, I was really moved by John McCain's vote no 
on the health care bill. I mean, he, um, I don't know if you saw the, you know, C-SPAN coverage or a clip from it, but he had just come back from surgery, brain surgery, I think, I mean, he, serious surgery, uh, days before, and he, you know, he's not, he doesn't move quickly, uh, even in the best of times, but you saw him in the, you know, middle of the night when they were, when the Republicans thought they had the votes and they were gonna push it through, and again, whatever your politics are, it, 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 was, it took a lot of courage for him to do what he did and vote no. And you can see him kind of giving his, his, his arm, you know, giving the thumbs down with his, his, his body's been broken many times, right? I mean, he was a, a POW and was beaten and tortured. Um, and it, it took a ton of courage for him to do what he did. And personal opinion, again, I think that was a good thing for um, the poor um, and, and, and the vulnerable, uh, what he did. So that I, I saw that as a, a a positive use of power. All right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> throw, throw something at me for that. The women were more, were more uh, the two women. They were more fervent. Uh, absolutely. They, 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 yeah, we, we knew that, that uh, the women were more fervent. We knew that they were going to vote against it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's right. That's right. I don't want to take away from them. This is. I just wanted to carry on a little with that theme. Um, as a healthcare provider for 30 years or so, I struggle every day because I work in a set of clinics for uninsured and underinsured folks. That, you know, we say the right things, we say healthcare is a right, we say no one dies because they don't have insurance or whatever. That's not true. People die all the time because they don't have insurance. And I was just thinking Fridays, I took care of a young man with no health insurance. He can't get his asthma medicine because it's $400 for a thing of Advair. All of you who take Advair, and I'm sure there's quite a few in the room, you know, this is not something he can do without. He has to have something like that to breathe. And he can't. I mean, it's a choice between eating, paying rent, you know, his job doesn't pay enough, and he's working full time. I mean, I struggle with all the people who don't work, or the people who are lazy, or the people who are on, you know, the stereotypical. But I'm not seeing the people in my practice who are stereotypical, you know, whatever our vision is of Medicaid or Medicare or government assistance. You know, it is just nail grinding life or death for so many people in Nashville, Tennessee, much less developing countries, you know, who just, who cannot. And I think that's our power as a country is sitting right here, ready to address this or fix this. But I hear this disconnect in our, in our power capital. I, I don't understand. I do not understand what people are thinking when they don't see the injustice and the gaps. Thank you, Amen. <coughs> this is so simplistic, but the re the reality um, use of resources, whether it be time or financial resources, is power. And so, I see good when people are going to the Living Word Dinner and donating. That is a use of their resource, a use of their power to help someone else have themselves. 
So I can list dozens of ways. Um, women who've taken food to others that need it. Um, those that have taught a Sunday school class. All of that is using our power in an unselfish way. And I think that's what this is about. Yeah, and that's that kind of creative let let there be power. You're not you're not forcing anybody to eat the dinner you're taking, right? Or uh, you know, nobody on the creek is saying you have to go to the dinner, or pay double next Sunday in your contribution or whatever. Um, although there's an idea, right? Um, but, but it's uh, by by making those choices, we're we're clearing out space for uh, others to flourish. Anybody else? One of the things with with power that's uh, that I think is is often overlooked, and it is we talk about we have the power to, and we do, we do, uh, uh, but we also have the uh, it, not exercising power is a very godly thing to do as well. I mean that's 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 the Jesus example, the person with ultimate power. Who was born in a feed trough and died as a criminal? Uh, it is. Uh, it, it did not exercise power, as we would define it, all through throughout his life. And we have opportunities to not exercise the power that we have. And, and we have, by by we, I mean the, the collective. We have have uh, ha have an immense amount of power uh, to to do things that that many people do not. And and the the ability to. Uh, the, the godly exercise of not uh, inflicting our power to do things over other people, I think, is a is is a worship to, to use the speaker's words is a, is an act, act of worship in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, all right. So um, he talked about um, idolatry and how idolatry. Um, <coughs> Can take on sort of two forms. It can be, um, it can be either um, making setting up a false god, um, and then he says, you know, the the end of that is you become uh, one who plays a false god, and he he, he says that that's the root of injustice, um, and and he talks about poverty is the result of that, and I, I thought that was a pretty provocative statement that. Poverty is the result of someone playing God in the life of somebody else. Um, and I, I was sort of, when I first heard that, and maybe still am, kind of resisted that a little bit. I thought, well, no, not always, right? I mean, poverty can maybe just be circumstantial. I mean, um, you know, what about, you know, Saharan Africa? Right now they're going through a drought and a, and a famine. And, and some of that, I think, is probably the result of, people playing God in those people's lives with extremist groups, but sometimes it's, you know, it's circumstantial. What do y'all think? Is that, um, do you buy that statement? Um, how do you see it in our culture and the world around us? Do you not buy it? He didn't, he didn't say that, he didn't say that that was the cause of all poverty. Yeah. He didn't qualify it one way or the other, right? <laughs> right. I mean, that's a cause, but not the only cause. Okay. He didn't say that. I, I would say that I, I, I agree with it in the sense that where you see, like, systemic poverty uh, in that 
there are powers that, and, and, and rights that, that folks who have a lot of money hold away from those who, who don't. Uh, I mean, in the U.S., it started with slavery and has continued, uh, and that affliction has continued to 20, you know, 2017. Uh, and so, yeah, it, 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 it existed, and, and that has plagued us uh, since then. Um, and, yeah, it, it, we talk about, like, the church's power. Uh, you know, as a church, we, we have let poverty happen, right? Like, there's enough money in this room um, amongst all of the Christian churches to eradicate poverty in the U.S. quickly, but we don't because we, we hold back. I'm guilty of that. I'm not like throwing stones or anything. Like, that's my problem too, but we have the ability to do that, to help out. And, to, and so it's, it's a way, uh, and it's, we've been called to do that. I mean, the, the Bible talks clearly about sharing with one another and, and all things were considered to er, considered everyone's, um, but we hold back. Uh, and so, yeah, we create idols by, I create idols by my stuff, by this uh, way of life that I have targeted that I think I should, you know, the American dream and that I've, you know, I've, I should get this amount of money and have this thing and buy this stuff. Uh, and that, those idols create opportunities in, in my life to worship other things and withhold opportunities from other people. And so, yeah, I, I agree with it when it relates to, I mean, to your point, droughts happen you could talk about global warming but it droughts happen and in isolated instances poverty happens but usually that clears up but there's systemic poverty that occurs in our society and societies around the world that our idolatry has created yeah and you know kevin just talked about um sometimes power is is restraint is the restraint of godly power um you know the example of Christ could have stopped all of that betrayal, stopped all of that crucifixion, but he didn't. And it sounds like what you're suggesting is sometimes idolatry is also the restraint of godly power. We, we have the power to intervene and stop poverty, but we don't. And, and maybe that's because we've set up an idol comfort. Of, of comfort that we're protecting. We're, we are one last comment. Yeah, John, you can lead us out. We're, we're yeah, uh, in, in Revelation 3, 17, talking to the Laodiceans, he indicates that there's more than one kind of poverty that he's mentioning here. He says, because I saith I am rich and have grown rich, have need of nothing, and has known that thou art the wretched, and has not known you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So that's a different, they had the money, but they were still poor. They yep. were in poverty. All right. Thanks, everybody. Go in peace.